With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. There's a time and a place for black and white. Like when you're learning to play piano. Or when you want a big two-toned cookie. Or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white. So go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing. From banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. Mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the Lord. Got miles to go before we sleep. Lawman is putting into my running and I'm so far from my We will not go gently. Uh, we're going to unleash hell here in December. Oh, Mama, I can hear you crying. You're so scared and all alone. Cowboys and Steelers. Those bring back great memories. 
absolutely. Um, you know, and, and if someone hasn't read the book uh, by uh, Gary Prominence, it is about it's titled Their Life's Work, which is based around the 1970s Pittsburgh Steelers, the dynasty of Chuck Knoll and Mean Joe Green. Definitely go check out that book. The holidays are coming up. If you have a Steeler fan in your family that doesn't have the book, it is worth a read. Uh, I finished it not too long ago. It was a gift given to me. Phenomenal book. Sad at the end as they talk about where these players are now and how many of them have already passed, but still a phenomenal book. Um, now, Lance, <laughs> since we're talking Cowboys-Steelers, I want to get your take on a couple things. First is this whole debate that's always on Twitter, that's always going around about America's team. Now, everyone knows that in the 70s, the Cowboys dubbed themselves as America's team. Are they still America's team? My question for you, Lance, is are the Cowboys still America's team or has someone like the Steelers taken over the reins of that title? I'll say it like this, and for all my Hoop fans out there, they understand this rule. You can't give yourself a nickname. A nickname has (laughs) to be given to you by people who watch you. You can't go out and say, I'm the head cracker and then make people call you the head cracker. <laughs> people got to watch you and say, he cracked head. He's the head cracker. Yeah, that's why, you know, that's how you get nicknames. Um, so because the Cowboys gave themselves the name America's team, they can't be America's team. America has to give them that moniker. And it doesn't even matter. The Steelers are beyond America's team. They're the world's team. We're global. Yeah, it's a good. Yeah, it's, it's a perfect word for it. Is that the Steelers have become global. Um, my beef is not with America's team. I really don't care. If the Cowboys want to call themselves America's team, have at it. Um, the Steelers have more Super Bowls. That's what everyone gauges themselves by anyway, so that's what I worry about. I'll tell you what pisses me off, though, is I can't stand all the nation talk, and it's everywhere now. It has gone to the high schools and the middle schools. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about, you know, I think the two that started, I can't, I, I can't say for sure which was first, were Steelers Nation and Raider Nation. Those two teams were kind of like the ones that said, you know what, well, we've got big fan bases, they're rabid, they're very, they travel well. They are the nation, the Steeler nation, and it's something that people cling to. Now, my goodness, I, I live in Maryland. I, someone said Raven Nation the other day, and I laughed out loud, and I said, what in the hell are you talking about? Raven Nation? You'll be lucky if there's a fan outside of the Maryland state line that likes the Ravens. No one likes the Ravens. And you say in a nation? <laughs> that personally pisses me off. Uh, Who do you think <laughs> Who do you think was first, though? Do you think it was Oakland? Do you think it was Oakland, or do you think it was Pittsburgh that that took the the reins of the the nation? I I think it was probably the Raiders. I mean, people are going to kill me for saying that, but I had never heard of Steeler Nation until I kind of – I never really heard of it. It's kind of like new for me even still. Like, you know, I'm just Steeler fans, right? I've never said Steeler Nation or any of that stuff, but – agree with you on that overused nation. Like, I've heard of Jag Nation. Like, really? That's a Jag. It's a township, not a nation. Maybe a neighborhood, but definitely not a nation. You know, 
Jags. Now, yeah, and you go. It, it, it's bad. So, I'll tell you what. That's some good talk to get the show started off on the right foot. We do want to go. I really don't want to, but I, I know we have to talk about the last game, which is Week Nine's loss to the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore, M&T Bank Stadium, 21 to 14 is the final score. And anyone that watched the game could tell you a couple things. First and foremost, the score did was not indicative of how one-sided the game was from a score standpoint. Second thing I think most people would be able to draw the conclusion from is that both of those teams play like absolute garbage. I'm talking steaming heaps of garbage. It was one of the worst football games that I have ever watched in my entire life. And it was so bad that there came a point where I said to myself, if I wasn't getting paid, if I didn't have to watch this to write about it, I might have turned it off. It was that bad. And it was... It was lousy, but Lance, what were your takeaways from the game? Give me something that went wrong or a few, well, what went wrong, how we could be here for an hour. Uh, focus a couple things that went wrong and then try to think of something that might have gone right against the Ravens that could probably maybe springboard them into the Cowboys game this week. Well, I'll tell you what went right. I'll start with the positive. The positive is that play really good defense. In fact, they probably played best against the run. That's probably the best performance they had against the run the entire season. So the defense showed up. It responded to the fact that they had been butter soft the two previous weeks against the run. The negative was the entire offense. It just has no focus, no rhythm. Game planning is bad. Execution is bad. Everything was bad. And last but not least, that onside kick was just absolutely bad. It's just <laughs> really indicative of how bad the game went, that they botched that as bad as it could be botched, where it should be a football folly totally bad. Defense, you could see it rounding into some shape with James Harrison playing well again and with the emergence or, or the return, I should say, of Cameron Hayward. So you know, those were two good things. Yeah. I mean, the defense did play well. Um they got their first defensive back interception of the season with Artie Burns. That's who I want to talk with you about before we get into the, the nuts and bolts of the upcoming game. What has been your opinion of Artie Burns to date? Now, he played 100% of the snaps against the Ravens. He was a starter. He took over William Gay's spot. They moved William Gay to the slot. Um, kind of a demotion, really. Um, what has been your opinion on Artie Burns? Uh, you've been pleasantly surprised. Still disappointed. What's your take on him? He's not ready to play. And if we had more depth, he wouldn't be playing. And I think he's being forced into it, and he's not ready. Technique is bad. He's pretty sloppy. And I really don't have much confidence <laughs> with him out there. But he's a rookie. And it's just unfortunate that the Steelers, from a roster perspective, have to put him out there. Uh, you know, hopefully, unfortunately, they don't have time to wait for him to develop, so they have to fast track the development. Hopefully, with the thought that, you know, by the time and if they make a playoff run, you know, he's had his trial by fire, and whatever they saw in him when they made the drafting valuation starts to come to the fore. Now. Did you think that when they moved him to the outside and they started him against the Ravens, 
Was that a demotion for William Gay, or do you think they moved William Gay to the slot strictly based on the fact that Sean Davis is not their best cover option in the slot? And also, something else that might not be talked about too much is the fact that Golden and Davis kind of were shuffling in and out throughout that game, um, maybe a sign of things to come there in the safety position alongside Mike Mitchell. What were your thoughts on William Gay? Because I didn't think he was playing that bad. He gave up a couple big plays in uh, Miami. But other than that, William Gay's been pretty solid. I was kind of surprised they did that. I don't know, listeners, if you guys listen to Sway, the Sway Show, uh, on, uh, I think it's Sirius Satellite Radio, the famous interview where he he was asking Kanye questions, and Kanye famously said to Sway, Sway, you ain't got the answers. Probably ain't got the answers. There ain't no answers back there. So they're swapping it, mixing it, and matching it, and trying to play the guy who's going to play the best at that particular time. But they ain't got the answers. They're young back there with Taki, a.k.a. <laughs> a.k.a. Cockwell, who's the best corner, Davis. So they're young back there. Gold is young. So so they're just mixing it and matching it. Who can ever play best at that time is who's going to play what. But the slot position, and we said this at the start of the season, the slot position was going to be an issue all year because Sinquest Golson never played a snap in the National Football League. So they're putting a safety Davis in slot, we all thought that was eh, a little strange. So they're trying to mix and match it and trying to get the best execution that they can at that particular time, at that particular moment in the game. So I wouldn't put too much stock in any of it. However, I think Burns playing 100% of the snaps is really, in an essence, in trying to get him better. And I would say there's a gradual evolution to shifting to this younger secondary but if they get torched, it'll switch up. They'll put the vets in. There's no answers back there. They've got an average set, except for Cockrell, who I think is playing really well this year. Yeah, no, I agree. And you brought up Finkler's goals, which is a good segue into some news in case you didn't hear it. Uh, today, the Pittsburgh Steelers officially announced that um, Bud Dupree was taken off the injured reserve and put on the injured reserve designated to return list meaning that the Steelers have designated him as their one player a year that can come back and return to the team, which means that Ryan Harris, Cody Wallace, Senquez Golson, those three that have been placed on injured reserve, their season is now officially over. Uh, they'll be on injured reserve for the rest of the year, regardless of what happens with Dupree. Now, Dupree did come back. Uh, he did practice in scout team today. They're not. Uh, he's not going to play this Sunday, but they're hoping that maybe for Cleveland next week, getting him back on the field. And with Darius Green continues to practice, there's rumors that he could be activated to the 53-man roster this week. Um, how excited are you to see Bud Dupree on the field this year? SOS, help, help. The Steelers defense, <laughs> Steeler Nation, Mike Tomlin, everybody is saying, help. Help, Bud! Get healthy quick! Get healthy quick! And, and Jeff, I want to use this question as a segue 
into what we were talking about earlier this week when we kind of at this halfway point wanted to briefly discuss our three things that we see are issues on both sides of the ball. And namely, it's the pass rush for me. And we saw it pick up some in the Baltimore game when they got three sacks. James Harrison played really well, took advantage of the rookie tackle. But they need an injection of Bud Dupree to make this pass rush better because they have 11 sacks, last in the National Football League, tied with the Saints and Giants. And at the time that I wrote this down, they were ranked last in the National Football League in adjusted sack rate. So Bud Dupree coming back is a welcome sight. SOS, help, save me. Can we shoot off the pass rush flare so we can get some sacks and some pressure because that's going to be one of the critical things in this matchup against the Dallas Cowboys because I'm going to give you guys a fantastic stat from Pro Football Illustrates just how important it will be to dirty up the pocket for Dak Prescott. Well, and and the thing is, too, about Dupree's return is that Dupree's return isn't just about sacks. It's about generating opportunities for others as well. You look at the left side, Anthony Chiquillo, although I thought that Anthony Chiquillo played his best game of his his pro career on Sunday. He got a couple quarterback pressures. He was evident in the run game. Um, He's still not the answer. He's a backup player. Arthur Motes. I don't. He's kind of invisible out there. You never really notice him, and so Ooh. they're able to put sometimes. Ooh. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They they're able to put tight ends on that outside linebacker, which then forces that tackle to take care of Stephon to it. If you put Bud Dupree on the outside, just because of his sheer athleticism, which is a concern for me, is how is what is his game shape like? What happened with his strength, especially from the lower body, because. When you have a groin injury, uh, the, it had to be a surgically repaired sports hernia. That's not something that you just, okay, I'm just going to go back under the bar and squat 335 again. It's going to take a lot of time. And so um, I wonder what's his conditioning like. But if he can even just generate some attention, it's going to free up to it, and it's also going to free up the other side. The offense is, uh, the opposing offense will have to roll coverage more to his side, which may be Jarvis and then there. I'm, uh, I'm sorry. Maybe James Harrison would be able to actually get to the quarterback and make a play. So Bud Dupree, I think it is important that he comes back. I know you said it is important, and it's it is a, an SOS help me kind of situation. But I think the Bud Dupree's return against Cleveland, I think that'd be a great great way to get him out there, get him acclimated, and hopefully ready for the stretch run. Because after that, they play the Giants. You want to get after Eli Manning, and then Andrew welcome the Colts on Thanksgiving night. That's the next uh, four games coming up for the, the uh, Steelers. So it should be interesting to see how they handle those things. But you mentioned um, the three keys or the three things that have popped after the midseason. The midseason stretch we're, we're four and four. We're eight games into this thing. Defensively, other than the pass rush, what were other things that you noticed about the uh, the team in general, uh, the, the, the defense, I should say, I'm sorry, defense at the halfway point? Evident that they cannot stop the run consistently without Cameron Hayward. With Cam Hayward, they've had they faced 114 rushing attempts for 385 yards. That's 3.4 yards per 
carry against running backs. Without Cam, 58 rushing attempts for 346 yards. So it's almost double the attempts, you know, with Cam for about the same amount of yards. So 58 attempts, 346 yards for a whopping 5.97 yards per carry. So what we've seen is they don't do a particular good job of stopping the run without Cam. And evidence how well they played against the run with Cam, against the Ravens, the Ravens attempted 25 carries. They only had 36 yards from running back. That's 1.4 yards to carry. They were fantastic against the run against the Ravens. And last but not least, I'm not going to give you a number or times that this happens because you really have to study film to actually give you a certain amount of numbers. But tackling, tackling is really bad on this team. The only number I'll give you is 142 yards after contact by Ajay in the Miami game. Those are the three big things. Stopping the run without camps, pass rush, and tackling. They have to clean up those three areas. Or they have to be able to stop the run if Cam goes down in the game or gets hurt or something. But clearly, you can see it. When Cam is not playing, things that I've identified as significant issues with uh, their defense. Yeah, you can't disagree with that. I mean, it's a fact. Um, for the offensive side, I broke it down. I think it all started for me with the offensive line. I don't think they've played – I don't think they've played poorly, uh, but they haven't played up to what our standards were for them coming into this season. Uh, Mike Munchak, we know what, what how good he is. Um, they've had a lot of injuries on the offensive line. If you think back, I mean, Ramon Foster missed the game with a chest injury. B.J. Finney filled in, played very well. Then all of a sudden, Mark Skilbert goes down. Chris Hubbard comes in. He plays well, but then kind of gets exposed in a few games. And then he comes back, and it's kind of funny at this point. They played two snaps together as an offensive line, that, that starting five, and then Marquise Townsy dislocates his thumb on his snapping hand, and now he is out. Uh, we don't know if he's going to play this week. He didn't practice today on Wednesday. Uh, and so you have to wonder what's going to happen there. But the offensive line, they have not been consistent enough. And that's a word that you're going to hear me say a lot when referring to the Steelers' offense is consistency. The Steelers' offense and the offensive line, they have games where they can really run the ball well. Think back to you know week one in Washington, even against Cincinnati in week two. They ran the ball very, very well took a lot of pressure off Ben Roethlisberger, and they were able to get good chunks of yard, control the clock, all that good stuff that comes with running the football. In pass protection, they haven't been horrible, but they also haven't been good. Um, I will say that I feel like in pass pro, they're better than they were last year. Uh, Roethlisberger does seem to have more time. The sacks that he's taken pretty much have all been, uh, you know, he's holding onto the ball, coverage-type sacks where He's looking, 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 pump fake, pump fake, and then he goes down. You can't really put that on the offensive line. But the offensive line needs to play better if they want to make a run in the second half of the season. My second concern is the wide receiver. And a lot of people might look at this and say, what are you talking about? Antonio Brown's great. He's the best player in the game. There's no doubt in that. But who is going to step up off of him? The loss of Martavis Bryant is so clearly evident because – there's no number two that is able to take all the coverage or some of the coverage off of 84 and slide it to the other side. 
you saw it in the Ravens game, and Rich Gannon with the All-22 made it so very evident. They had, excuse me, they had Antonio Brown bracketed on the sideline, and they even sent a linebacker his way. They had three players out of 11 accounting for one on the offensive side of the football. And like Antonio Brown said, someone else has to make a play. That means someone has one-on-one coverage. Someone has to win their matchup, and it wasn't happening. And that's a problem. And so who's going to be the answer to that question? Is it Marcus Wheaton? That's what I put my money on. If he can get healthy and stay healthy, Darius Green down the seam could be a guy that's going to help draw some attention. If he gets back on the field and is part of the, the player that he was in San Diego last year, um, but then you can even go with Sammy Coates. I mean, Sammy Coates is really frustrating. He was limited today on Wednesday with practice with his fractured and lacerated finger. Um, but ultimately, I look at those three players and say that one of those players has to step up, and that's a concern because there's no guarantee that one of them is going to be able to, and so that's a concern. And lastly is just what I said earlier, consistency. This is a team that smokes the Kansas City Chiefs, and then in the last three weeks, has struggled to put up points. And I don't really want to count the New England game too much because they moved the ball well, struggled in the red zone um, against the Miami Dolphins and the Ravens with Roethlisberger under center. He has looked off. He has not been consistent at all this year. Uh, the offense in general, which Ben Roethlisberger is the straw that stirs the drink, has not been consistent at all. They talk about 30 points a game. At this point, they just need to move the ball get the points when they're capable, and not have a three and out. My goodness, they didn't have a snap in the Baltimore territory until the fourth quarter. They didn't – I think they had only converted maybe two third-down opportunities, and one of those was via a penalty. It's atrocious. It's really mind-boggling to me to watch this offense when you have so many weapons at Todd Haley's disposal and you struggle to move the football. I just don't know. I, don't, I really don't get it. I don't get it. It's been predictable. It's been frustrating to watch. I know I'm not alone when I talk about this stuff. But ultimately, if this team is going to make a run in the second half and maybe go something like 6-2 and two and finish 10-6, and six, which I think is good enough to win the AFC North, or maybe 7-1, and one, which, would be a, which would be tremendous, it's going to be the offense. The offense is going to have to get rolling. They're going to have to stay healthy, and they're going to have to finish opportunities. So those are my three things for the offense. Um, you know, you're talking about the offensive line, the receiver depth, and then lastly, consistency, mainly at the quarterback position. Uh, Lance, anything to add to those offensive keys or concerns, I should say? I would add uh, one of the frustrating things is play design. The one thing that you saw on the play that Rich Cannon illustrated is there wasn't a receiver or a route or a concept to attack in between the numbers knowing that A.B. is getting bracketed on the sidelines. I think it was a two-receiver route. It was a two – well, two receivers went out in the pattern, and I think both guys bracketed on both sides of the field, and you didn't have another secondary uh, or even a a third receiver uh, attacking the middle of the field. And and so that's what they're going to have to creative in terms of anticipating bracket coverage and a safety being over top of Antonio Brown and use that to their advantage. And I think they've been kind of stale on offense. Um, And along with your uh, mention of the offensive line is the running game. The running game is broken right now. And they've got to get that fixed. And they've got to get Le'Veon Bell running. 
uh, well to incorporate play action and get it moving and cracking back into their offense. Yeah, I mean, Lady Ondell is dynamic, and they try to use him in a lot of different ways, and sometimes I feel like they just don't line it up and run it. I mean, they did that some against Baltimore, but um, there's just a lot of questions with this offense and, and not a lot of answers, unfortunately. If if you remember, Lance, in 2013, that was a team that kind of, in my opinion, the offense kind of resembled this current offense. It might not have been as – they didn't have as many big names, so to speak, but they were an offense that was brimming with potential, and yet they struggled. They struggled to move the ball. At times they moved the ball well between the 20s and struggled in the red zone. And what did they do in 2013? They eventually said, you know what, we're going to become a no-huddle offense. And I'm not suggesting that they should be a no-huddle offense 100% of the time. But what I think they should do is when they need a kickstart, they need to let it go. They need to let Roethlisberger call the plays, which he was clearly doing um, at the in the fourth quarter against the Ravens, and that's also when the offense started to get going. I wouldn't be surprised and I wouldn't be against if they decided to go, even if it's their muddle huddle, um, an up-tempo type of game to kind of get the, get the ball going and uh, moving the ball. That's something that just was a giant struggle in week nine. So let's talk about week 10. The Dallas Cowboys are coming to Heinz Field. Believe it or not, the Pittsburgh Steelers are home favorites in this game. Uh, the line has moved a little bit. It started out as three points. It's gone to two and a half, down to two. And sometimes, some some casinos or Vegas books are actually trending back upwards to three points. What are your thoughts on that, Lance? That seems real fishy to me, considering the Dallas Cowboys' streak. They've only lost one football game. They're playing really good football, coming into a team that's dropped three in a row. And the Steelers are favored. That just seemed a little odd. It does on the surface, but I'm not surprised. And I was having this discussion with my brother, and he was asking me the same question about the line. And what they're saying is the Steelers play well at home, that's one. Two, that after a game against the Ravens, the way they've lost the past three, that they're going to come out with this sense of desperation. And lastly, they're very talented. So a desperate, talented Pittsburgh team at home against the Dallas Cowboys team that's very good offensively, average defensively, sets up for a shootout and a game in which the Steelers will probably win. And people will say, wow, where was that team the last three weeks? Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. So let's get right into the keys to victory for this upcoming game. Go ahead with the defense. What is your What are your defensive keys to win against Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and the boys. As always, if you listen to the show, I start with Iran, and Iran starts at saddle. If you want to stop the streak, stop Zeke. Very simply, right now, Zeke Elliott is the number one running back in the National Football League as graded by football outsiders. Dallas Cowboys are averaging 165 yards per game, rushing first in the National Football League. And Dallas is rated uh, number one by football outsiders running in between the A and the B gaps. And the combination of Travis Frederick and Zach Martin are absolutely awesome. When you look at Frederick, he's graded out as the number two center in the National Football League. 
My Football Focus, because Zach Martin's rated number four as the guard. They do a fantastic job of running the football. They're dedicated to it. They're focused on it. They're going to do it. And it, you, it, the way they use it, it sets up everything that they want to do. It keeps their offense on schedule. It keeps uh, Dak Prescott out of some bad down and distances. So they, it's their bread and butter. You're going to get a heavy dose of it. They're going to do it, and you're going to see it. So the Steelers are going to have to stop it. And I think it's going to be a fantastic battle in the trenches between Tewitt and Hayward against Frederick and Martin. I think the Steelers are going to hold up pretty well in the running game. You know, it's not going to look like the Patriots or Miami. Dallas will get some of theirs. I think, you know, Elliott will have 20 carries plus probably, you know, I'm thinking about 85 yards there. You know, hopefully they can keep the yards per carry down around, you know, the 3.8 mark, somewhere around there. Uh, and, and Elliott is also good bouncing it. He's got speed to get to the boundary. He's pretty elusive. He's a physical guy. So they're going to have to also bring their hard hat in the running game and tackle it very well. The other thing, and I want to share this stat, and we talked about it earlier in the show. Um, before I read that, I read a good article on ESPN about the approach the Steelers want to take with Elliott, and they realize they're going to have to bring multiple hats to the ball. So they're going to have to run, hit, and be aggressive, wrap up, and finish. But they're going to have to get multiple hits on the ball. But he's a guy that's going to bust one guy and get a, a lot of yards after the contact if you don't get enough hats. So let me read this out to the stat that was collected by Football Focus on Dak Prescott. And it says the following. On his 23 dropbacks from a clean pocket, Dak Prescott earned a near-perfect passer rating of 146.8 in Dallas's 35-7 win over the Browns. Prescott completed 18 of 22 attempts. He scrambled once for 214 yards and three touchdowns. For the season, he ranked second in the NFL passer rating from a clean pocket perspective, 121.5, and will move up in PFF's quarterback grade following his excellent performance. Dallas' O-line surrendered just six total QB pressures, and the combination of the Cowboys' strong rushing attack and their offensive line, and Prescott's success from a clean pocket has been a winning one so far. So it's going to be critical for the Steelers to be able to get pressure on Prescott, muddy the pocket, and hurry his throws. Because from what you've seen, if you've watched him, if Dak has a clean pocket, you know he's going to be pretty tough on you. And that, that's true of any quarterback, but because of their offensive line and that running game, and the fact that we've talked about the Steelers have struggled getting pressure, they're going to have to come up with creative ways to do that. I see a mismatch of Harrison and Jones versus Doug Free, who's probably the worst offensive lineman in their right tackle. That's a matchup that I think the Steelers can take advantage of, and I think the Steelers are going to have to be more aggressive in terms of blitzing Dak, run blitzes, as well as blitzing him trying to get pressure to try to muddy up the pocket, but not least, Dallas is a very physical team, so the Steelers are going to have to absolutely tackle well. They're going to really have to limit the yards after contact in the run game to Zach Elliott, and they're going to have to be disciplined on terms of how they rush to contain 
Dak Prescott, and when they have opportunities to tackle them, they're going to have to tackle him, be physical, and get him to the ground. I love what Dallas does in the running game. I love their dedication to it. But I think the Steelers are going to handle it pretty well and play defense pretty well in this game. Of course, you always got to account for Dez Bryant. You know, I think that they should travel. Cockrell should travel with Dez. I think what you're probably going to see is a lot of cover three like they typically play. But I think Mike Mitchell a little bit, will be a little bit more nosy to try to dedicate an eighth in the box and make it a Jason Witten game or a secondary wide receiver game while they shade a safety over top of. Steelers will handle it pretty well. Uh, I, I surprisingly kind of like the matchup of the Steelers defense against this Cowboy offense. All right. That, that, you know, Zeke Elliott is the one that scares me. You know, we talked off the air. And we both said the same thing. You have to stop the run, and that's why you gave that great run about stopping the streak with stopping Zeke and stuff. It's going to be a great matchup to watch. Uh, the Steelers, I like what Mike Tomlin said he is. It's not a one-person job. It's going to be multiple hats to the ball. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Um, I think the both teams' offenses can look at this upcoming matchup and say, you know what, we like our matchup. I think that the Cowboys' offense, and we just talked about, you know, Dez Bryant, Prescott and his athletic ability, uh, the, read, the read option that they'll run on occasion, and, and you have the best offensive line and the best, one of the best running backs in the game, too, um, all in the same offense. I think you'd say the same thing or very similar about the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think the Steelers against the defensive, the Dallas defensive front, I, I don't, I'm not that impressed. I mean, the, the Dallas defensive front has given up some yards on the ground. I think Le'Veon Bell could get going early and often. But you have to use Le'Veon Bell's versatility. And the more I thought about this game and the more I thought about if I were to actually draw up some type of game plan, I would do almost an exact carbon copy of the game plan they had for Landry Jones against the New England Patriots. There's a good chance that the, New, the Dallas Cowboys are going to drop all their defensive backs deep to prevent the long ball. They're going to try to load the box to stop the run. So what do you do? You abuse that. You take what's given underneath, and you hope that you can perform well in the red zone after you move the ball. This, this plan would keep Roethlisberger healthy. Um, it would limit the amount of pass rush they can get, and it would also give them options in terms of how they use Bell. In that game against the Patriots, he was always available as a dump-off. He was good in the screen game. They need to make him the focus because once they get everyone rallied around Bell, that's when you can kind of get it to Antonio Brown and other options. Hopefully someone like Marcus Wheaton, who's active this week. That's exactly what I would do. The Steelers' offensive game plan that week was very balanced. Um, I know that Landry Jones threw the ball 40-plus times. Um, I don't know if that was by design or by necessity. Either way, that's what I would do. I mean, I'm going to give you like three or four keys, but I kind of look back to that game plan and say, that's what the Steelers' offense should look more like. It should look more focused on Le'Veon Bell, more about running the football, and then throwing off of that. And the funny thing is, is you talk about pro football focus, they were – I want to say that uh, they're number two as the team that runs or throws the least amount of play-action passes, which doesn't make a lot of sense. When you have a running back like Lady Bell, you think that, you know, you get under center, you stick it in his belly, and then take it out. I think that's a really good chance to have some big plays in the offense. The offense has to generate splash plays, but it's not all about splash plays. I don't think going deep every time is what they need to do. They just need to move the chains, keep possessions, keep drives going, wear down the defense. I think 
We are in for a shootout this Sunday, Lance. I don't know why. I think it's going to be a shootout. Um, unless you have something to add for offense, I'm, I'm anxious to know what your score prediction is for this upcoming game. Be a little lower scoring than people believe. Uh, so you want me to give you my prediction right now? Who's going to win the game and score? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. I like I like the Steelers to win this game 27-24. Okay. Late field goal uh, by Boswell to win the game. I think they're going to play really well. I think they're going to play like their season is on the line, and it very may well be. I think you're going to get the best Steeler team you've seen this year. It's going to be real crisp. And I, I think they're going to really get after the Dallas Cowboys. And it could be a game in which Dallas is coming back late, um, you know, where the Steelers are up and maybe they give up a late touchdown and get tighter and then they, you know, game-winning drive, something like that. But I think the Steelers are going to win this ball game and get to 5-4. and four. Yeah, this game, for some reason, if you think back to 2015, the game against the Oakland Raiders, um, it was just one of those crazy back-and-forth games. It just didn't seem like any defense could make stops. I feel like that's kind of what it's going to look like, at least in the first half, until teams kind of get settled in and figure out what the game plan is and the adjustments and all that. Um, I have the Steelers winning as well. I have them winning 38-35. to 35. I think that the Steelers make enough plays there. Whoa! And Chris, yeah, and Chris Boswell, Chris, Chris Boswell, redeems himself after the whiff of the onside kick. And I'll say he nails a 51-yarder at the end of regulation to win the game and really get the Steelers moving on to the next week uh, against Cleveland with a with a, a bitter taste out of their mouth and, and, and really prime for the second half of the season. So I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I, I just think that the Dallas Cowboys don't match up. Well. You said you like the matchup. I can't, I can't really agree with that. I just feel like that offensive line is going to be able to move him around the defensive front a little too much, and then Prescott with play action and his athleticism could really burn me. I mean, you think that Tom Brady ran for like four first downs. What, what's Dak Prescott going to do if the Steelers decide to just vacate the quarterback again? Um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really interesting. Um, but that's our predictions. Lance and I have agreed more than we should. He's picking the Steelers again. That's not good news for Steelers fans. Uh, but you know what? It is what it is. So we're, we're winding the show down here, Lance. I typically give you a chance to talk to Steeler Nation about uh, anything that you really want to about the upcoming game or the second half of the season. Here's your soapbox. Go ahead and stand on it and uh, preach, brother. After I've become the official Nate Silver of predictions for this particular show, um, <laughs> you know, I'm just kind of tired. You know, I'm just a little exhausted. You know, you know, it was a long night. Election night was long. I was up late reading articles. And, you know, so, you know, what I will say is this. I'll use that as a backdrop to the nation right now needs to heal, right? And I think Steeler Nation needs to heal as well. After three straight losses, the nation is kind of coming unraveled. There's not a lot of faith in the direction of the football team given the past performances. But like I would say to the nation, both nations, the nation and Steeler Nation, that the sun does come up in the morning. You have an opportunity to get better every single day. 
and every day you go out there and compete. And honestly, the Steelers only have to worry about this matchup. What they did against Baltimore doesn't matter. What they did against the Patriots doesn't matter. What they did against the Dolphins doesn't matter. The good thing about waking up and the sun coming out and and there being another day is that you can focus on that day and what you need to do during that day to be the best during that day. And with that said, I think the Steelers are going to do that and play some very good football this weekend against the Dallas Cowboys. Could have said it better myself. It reminds me of in 2005, uh, the, the famous scene when the Steelers, I want to say that they have six games left on the schedule, maybe five. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's five. And Bill Cowher came in, and on the, on the whiteboard they had the whole schedule, and he erased it all but one game. And it just was one game for the rest of the year. And that's exactly what the Steelers should be thinking. That's exactly what the fan base should be thinking. Everyone falls into that trap of, oh, well, after this, after this they play the Browns, and will they have a letdown against the Browns if they beat the Cowboys? And, yeah, just don't think about that. Just enjoy the game this week, 425. Unfortunately, we have to hear Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, but other than that, it should be a great event at Heinz Field. Pittsburgh plays ball at home. That's a good thing. So, um, like Wayne said, the sun will come up, time to heal, and time to get ready for those Cowboys coming to town. We'll be back with you next week to talk about the Cowboys game, hopefully after a victory, and also preview the upcoming game against the Cleveland Browns, the first matchup of those two AFC North teams. It should be interesting. should be fun. We thank you for listening for Lance. I'm Jeff. Be good to everyone out there. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.